Mathematics is all about a mindset shift. Here, math becomes a lens through which we see the world more clearly. Math is a vehicle that takes us to exciting new places. It's a medium through which we can experience life with more freedom and power. Come stand here with me at the edge of math. Let's throw the gates wide open and take a little journey together. I'm Amy Buchanan, your host. Welcome to Mathematics. Welcome to Mathematics. This is a podcast that's intended to be all about making people, I don't want to say more comfortable with math, because maybe that's too much of a cognitive stretch. I would say making people realize that math is accessible, which hopefully does have the result of making you more comfortable. But really, in the long run, it's about the freedom and power that it brings to your life. You might be someone who finds yourself in the situation of needing to understand math to pass a test in your own educational process. Or you might be someone who finds yourself teaching math to others, maybe in a teaching capacity in a school or an institution, maybe as a homeschool parent. But maybe you find that you don't understand the concepts of math quite as well as you'd like. Maybe you've been taught to memorize procedures and maybe you're pretty good at that and you try to pass those along to others. But when digging deeper into the why it works this way, maybe you feel a bit lost. If you're lucky, you might have students who challenge you with those questions. Why? Why is it that way? You might not feel lucky, but I like to look at it that way as a good thing. And here's the thing that I want you to know. It's okay to not know. I feel like one of the best things we can do for ourselves and for our students is to model growth mindset to whoever is learning with us or from us. It's not only okay, but it's a wonderful thing when you come across something that you don't fully understand. It's an opportunity to grow, whether as a student or a teacher, but always as a learner of math. Today's topic is going to be, I think, a really common example of where this applies. This idea where maybe we know the rules about how the math works, but we might not have a really clear understanding of the why behind the rules. And that is multiplication with negative numbers. Seriously, when I just said that, did the phrase two negatives make a positive just pop into your head? If not, that's okay. But if it did, then here's my next question. Why? That is what we'll be exploring today. We're on part two of a three-part series on multiplication. In part one of the series, that was episode five, and my longest episode to date, we spent an entire hour talking about the concept of multiplication. We delved into five different meanings of what multiplication is, and we talked about why we really need to shift away from teaching that multiplication is repeated addition and move towards the concept of multiplication as scaling. So if that intrigues you, you can check out the previous episode, episode five. Today's episode will 
maybe be a little shorter. And we're going to specifically extend our understanding of multiplication to how it works with negative factors. Factors are the numbers that we're multiplying together. Since we're working with negative numbers, you'll also find some throwbacks to episode four, which was the one where we got into negative integers for the first time, specifically with adding and subtracting them. So that could be a good foundational piece to today's episode as well, if you would like a refresher on sort of the existence of negative numbers and how they function with regard to additive reasoning. We'll be using and building on that during parts of this episode as well. And then, just for a peek at the roadmap we're following, the next episode after this one We'll be finishing up the multiplication series by talking about multiplication's inverse, division, and how division opens this world of rational numbers or fractions up to us. That will be a big episode. There's so much there. For whatever reason you find yourself listening, whether it's for your own personal growth or for finding ways to help others learn math, I want to extend a warm welcome and let you know just a few things about how you can stay in the loop. You can sign up for our email list at our website, mathematics.com, to get notified about future episodes and other projects that will be coming down the road. Also, I haven't mentioned this before, but I should have. If you are like me and you prefer being able to read along with your listening, especially when the material is sort of dense like math is, you can access our podcast directly from our website where you'll find a full written transcript with every episode. So if you're listening from a podcast app, but you would also like to read along, that's the way to do it. Go to mathematics.com. And then finally, if this particular concept about negative number operations intrigues you and you'd like to know more about how I teach operations with negative integers, you can get access to a free document it's quite extensive and it goes into all about how I teach addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division of negative integers using playing cards and dice. I've had a lot of success with students with varying amounts of background knowledge and I wrote it all down for you to give you a springboard for ideas that you might want to bring into your own classroom or learning environment. You can find all of that as well at our website, mathematics.com, that's M-A, T-H-E-M-A-T-I-X-E-D dot com. Multiplicative reasoning is something that we talked at length last episode about these five understandings of multiplication, which we put in the order they appear in the Common Core State Standards as they unfold throughout the grade levels. Number one, equal groups. This would relate most closely to that repeated addition idea. Number two, area or array. Number three, scaling or multiplicative comparison. Number four, rates. And number five, combinatorics, the one associated with probability. So the big question for today is, do these understandings of multiplication extend into negative numbers? And how does that happen? Well, let's take a look through them. I'm going to go roughly in the same order we just outlined here. The first one, the one we call equal groups, 
is exactly what I like to start with when I teach this. And as I mentioned in the beginning, I use playing cards for this, just regular playing cards, where black cards are positive and red cards are negative. And so we get those cards out and we study how to order the cards, which are larger and which are smaller. And we realize that a red 10 as a negative 10 is actually a lesser value than a red 5 is, for example. Then we study addition and then subtraction using the cards. And I'm going to pick it up today with multiplication, but I'm going to use these cards as sort of a discussion so you can have a visual in your mind as we're thinking about how multiplication with equal groups works. So let's take a multiplication expression we're already familiar with using positive numbers, three times five. Now, what does this mean? How can we model this and how can we think about it? Well, one way of thinking about it using this equal groups idea is to think of the three as what I call the counter number and the five as the value number. This is what we mean when we teach kids to say groups of when they see the multiplication sign, three groups of five. So if I'm going to introduce how multiplication works using negative numbers, I use two positive numbers like this as a baseline. I write three times five up on the board, a large three times five, and then I underline the three and label that the counter number and underline the five and label that the value number. So we have a counter amount of a value amount. We have three of the fives. And we can sort of semi-contextualize this as we have a big bucket of fives, okay? And we obtain or we get three of them. And then we want to know what is the value of what we got. And specifically, I can model it with playing cards by getting three of the black fives. Remember the black cards being positive and asking what is the value of these cards I've just put into my hand. And students will recognize that the value of that is 15 and that we could model that by saying five plus five plus five, but also that we can count how many of those fives we have since those are like our equal groups. And we can use that three by calling it the counter number, the number of equal groups, and multiply that by the value of each group by five. And that gives us a total of 15. Okay, so far so good. Now let's talk about what happens if we decide that our value was going to be negative instead of positive. We're still going to have three cards, but the value of each card will be negative five. And remember that we've decided to consider the red cards as negative. So now I'm going to write on the board under my first example, the second example, which is three times negative five. So my counter number is three and my value this time is negative five. I have three of the negative fives. What is the value of my hand? And students can see that I could model this one by writing negative five plus a negative five plus a negative five, which if I know how to add negative numbers, I would understand that these combine by going down and down and down the number line, if I use that idea, or by having debt and debt and more debt, if I use that idea. And whatever way I choose to think about it, the total value of these three negative fives accumulates and it will be a negative 15. So now I've shown that a positive amount, counter number, of a negative value number is going to be negative. 
You can generalize this, not maybe in that initial moment of this first lesson, but eventually with students by asking, if I get or obtain any positive amount of negative values, will the result ever be positive? Can it possibly? If I think of the structure, positive amount of a negative number, what that tells me is that I'm acquiring negatives, red cards to use the analogy. There's no possible way you can conceive of that resulting in a positive amount. It can't happen. A positive amount of a negative number will always be negative. Okay, so now we've done a positive amount of a positive number and a positive amount of a negative number. Both of those are fairly straightforward to visualize. Now we're gonna throw in a wrinkle because we have a couple more cases to consider, but we'll have to decide what will it mean to have a negative counter number. Does that make any real world sense in this scenario? I definitely think it does. And you can guide students, you can ask if positive three as a counter number means that I have or I get or I obtain three cards, what would a negative three amount of cards mean? And have a discussion about inverses and how the inverse would have to be removing three cards. Or if that jump is a bit too much, you can have a little side talk about Okay, a positive three amount of these black fives means I get three fives and show picking up or acquiring the three fives. Then start over. A positive two amount of these black fives means I get two fives and show picking up or acquiring the two fives. A positive one amount of these black fives means I get one five. A zero amount of these black fives means what? I get nothing. I have no cards at all. Total value of zero. Could we continue this process in the direction it's going? Absolutely. But it's going to start to mean that I'm losing or giving up or removing cards. So a negative one amount of the black fives means I have to give up a black five. A negative three amount of the black fives, the positive fives, means I was sitting here minding my own business with my three black fives. Somebody came along and took those three fives away. You can have a student be the thief and get them to actually come along and snatch those three black fives out of your hand. That's always fun. So the idea of a negative three amount of a positive five means three fives were removed. It's that particular action in that instant of the cards being removed. Now, if we're not careful, this gets confused with, well, then you're back to zero. So the answer is zero. But that's not what's going on in this model. If you play your cards right, <laughs> I just mean if you think about the language that you use and the visuals that you provide with the cards, you can avoid this misconception. The key here is what's the definition of the counter number? A positive counter number is counting up how many of the value item that you are getting or obtaining. The issue is that it's easy to think of that part, that positive counter number, in either this kinetic motion way or a static way. Like I can think about the action of obtaining the three cards, or I have the luxury of just sitting here noticing in the static state that I happen to have three cards. But when we need to think of a negative counter number, when we wanna do the inverse, we really wanna emphasize the kinetic or the motion or action-based idea. 
because that's what will give us the opportunity to fully understand negative multiplication when it comes to the equal groups idea. So we need to not only be able to talk about what does it look like for there to be a positive amount of equal groups, but we need to also talk about what it looks like for there to be a negative amount of equal groups. And that's by thinking about that action of removing the groups. Therefore, we want to emphasize the action of obtaining the groups when we have a positive counter number. So again, the model is that a positive three amount of the black fives means the action of obtaining three black fives. What happened during that action to the value of what I own? I got richer by 15. A negative three amount of the black fives means the action of removing three of the black fives. What happened during that action to the value of what I own? I got poorer by 15. Once again, if we want to generalize, and don't do this necessarily on day one with students, a lot of middle schoolers, at least the ones I've worked with, still need lots and lots of more specific and even concrete examples with actual numbers like this before they might be ready to generalize. But if and when it comes up, let's discuss this general idea of a negative amount of a positive value. That negative counter amount means we're removing cards, so we're discussing a case in which some amount of cards are being removed from you and all of those cards are positive. Is there any possible way that this can make you richer or will this always make you poorer? For sure, it will make you poorer. In other words, if you remove some amount of positive values, the result will be negative. Really what we've talked about so far are three out of the four possible scenarios. A positive amount of a positive number gives you a positive result. A positive amount of a negative number gives you a negative result. A negative amount of a positive number also gives you a negative result. And now we're ready to demonstrate the really interesting situation where we wanna find a negative amount of a negative number. What will be the result of that? If you've set up and modeled the first three scenarios, this fourth one just flows naturally. You're going to set it up by writing negative three times negative five and show that what this must mean is three cards are being removed from you and each card is a red five or a debt of five. Removing three of the red fives is how I might read or interpret that expression straight off the board and then watch it happen. Have a student come up and snatch three red fives out of your hand, and then talk about how <laughs> the joke's on them because my debts were removed from me. When that happened, did I get poorer or richer? That's right, I got richer. And by how much? By 15. The phrase I try to get my students to internalize is when I remove, that's the negative counter, the debts, that's the negative value. When I remove the debts, do I get poorer or richer? I get richer. Every time from then on that they see a negative amount of a negative number, they have the opportunity to think about that time when that unfortunate student came along and grabbed some debts out of my hand. That was to my benefit. I got richer. Notice the way we've unfolded it here. It does connect directly to the idea of subtracting a negative number which has the same effect as adding a positive number. 
And the reason is because using this conception of multiplication, where we have a counter number, when it's negative, it's behaving as the operation of subtraction would. When my counter number is positive, it's behaving in that kinetic, that motion way of adding that many of my value. And inversely, when my counter number is negative, it's behaving in that way of subtracting or removing that many of my value. I'm in the process of creating a little mini course with ideas and resources you can use for this particular topic. So depending on when you're listening to this episode, that might already be available, or you can go on the website and sign up if you're interested. But for now, within the podcast, I'm going to shift to another meaning of multiplication. And here's where I'm going to go out of order for a minute. I'm going to skip number two. That's the area idea of multiplication. I will come back to it, but I want to talk about the scaling idea first because I think it's more straightforward. So let's skip to multiplication concept number three, scaling. If you listen to episode five, you know that I consider scaling to be perhaps the central multiplicative idea as opposed to that equal groups idea. Because with equal groups, we can get sort of hung up on repeatedly adding or as you saw, repeatedly subtracting when the count of amount of groups is negative. And that's not bad in itself. And as I said, it's what I use initially. And as I said, it's what I use to initially introduce multiplication with negatives. But we want to expand and consider this scaling angle as well. So here goes. The idea of scaling involves starting with a value and then scaling it, making it bigger or smaller in a multiplicative sort of way. Can we think about multiplication by negative numbers using the scaling conception? I think we can. But as before, let's establish scaling with positive numbers first. And let's go back to our idea of the value of five. For this, I'm going to switch the visual of five to being a length. And that's because it's pretty easy to think of lengths as being scaled, stretched out or shrunk down. Or in a related idea, we can compare lengths to each other and mentally come up with that factor of how many times longer or shorter something got. Because I'm not going to use a physical example of something that we're literally going to stretch out or shrink, but it is something we could use to compare, and that is a tree or a plant. We're going to start with a cute little tree that's five feet tall. That's little for a tree, maybe not little for plants in general. So if we wanted to get another plant that's three times as tall, we would be looking at another tree probably that's 15 feet tall. So five times three would be interpreted as I started with five and then it got three times as tall. Like it grew in the same direction up, but it's bigger, it's longer by a factor of three. Okay, so what if I want to start with a tree that's five feet tall and I want to compare it to something that's smaller, say half the height? Well, I will scale it by half, one half. Still a positive number, and students might get confused about this. It's getting smaller, but it's still a positive number. I'm multiplying by fractions now, and more on that next week, but stay with me. So my new bush over here is only half of the height of my five foot tree. So it's two and a half feet high. It's shorter, but notice it still grew in the same direction. It grew up, it's above ground, its height is positive. Okay, let's explore the boundaries of this a little bit. 
I could imagine a very, very, very large positive number to scale by, and my plant would be very high in the sky like Jack's beanstalk. <laughs> or I could imagine the very tiniest fraction to scale by, and that would give me just the littlest tiny sprout that just barely got its little self above the ground as compared to my five feet. But no matter what, if I scale a positive number, that five foot height above ground, by a positive number, the result will be positive. What if I scale it, so to speak, by zero? So the height of my new plant will be exactly zero of the original five foot tall plant. Well, my new plant just exists in space at this point exactly on the ground, no higher, but also no lower. Because as you can imagine, that's where I'm going next. What if I want to scale my plant by a negative number? What if I want it to be scaled by a factor of negative three? Well, wouldn't that tell me that the length of the plant would still be three times as long, but if positive numbers are keeping me above the ground, wouldn't that mean that my tree decided for some crazy reason to grow straight down instead of up? So it's growing underground. Now you have to set aside the idea that real plants have this whole root system. Part of them actually is already underground. I'm just imagining the plant to be the part that we see above the ground that reaches a certain height. And then what would it mean to have that tree with its trunk and its branches that grew 15 feet, but it grew in the opposite direction. If you're teaching this, you could fill a whole page or a board with a series of multiplicative comparisons all side by side. A tree that is three times as tall as the five foot tree, a tree that is half as tall as the five foot tree, a tree that is zero times as tall as the five foot tree, and then some trees that got sent in the opposite direction. They head underground by scaling by those negative numbers and show like a vertical number line to measure those heights where the positive numbers are above zero and the negatives are below. So that takes care of scaling a positive number, both by a positive number, where the result is positive, and also scaling that positive number by a negative number, which sends it down or underground or to a negative amount. Then to complete this idea, we just need to discuss starting with a negative number and scaling that tree that is negative five feet tall. What would that mean? Well, that the tree had grown in the opposite direction of what we expect. So sketch the horizontal ground, that's zero, and then a trunk and the leaves and branches heading straight down to a height, quote unquote, of negative five feet below ground level. Is that sort of silly? Yeah, but it is a concrete thing that we can use to extend the understanding of negative multiplication. If we were to scale that negative five foot tree by a positive amount, that's just like before. We're saying, keep on going in the direction you were, just taller or maybe shorter if we're scaling by a fraction less than one, but still underground. So a negative five foot tree scaled by a factor of three keeps on getting further underground and it would be negative 15 feet tall. A negative five foot tree scaled by a factor of one half shrinks to negative 2.5 feet but it's still headed in that underground direction. So we've covered the third case of a negative amount scaled by a positive number. And all that's left is to imagine the case of a negative amount scaled by a negative number. And it's basically the same thing we did earlier, but the inverse. So our negative five foot tree 
could be scaled by a huge positive number to go very, very, very deep underground. Or it could be scaled by a tiny, tiny positive fraction, which shrinks it down very small, but it's still headed down underground. Scaling it by zero, just like earlier, makes it vanish into nothing. And then that's the flipping point. Once we start scaling it by a negative number, that turns it around in the opposite direction. So scaling a negative five foot tree by negative three makes it be a total height of 15, but now it's also changed direction completely. So now it's growing above ground like a normal tree for a height of positive 15. All of this is not super conventional, but it works for me. And I feel like it works for the people that I've worked with. I'll pause here to address the question. Are there other ways of communicating to students how multiplication with negative numbers work? Well, people who are very skilled at abstract thinking can use reasoning to formally develop every single one of the rules for multiplication using very abstract ideas involving variables and the distributive and associative and commutative properties. Should middle schoolers be able to understand all that? Eh, maybe. Do they understand it in a practical sense? No, not really, especially not at the beginning. Will they have a better chance of understanding the formal proofs of how these things behave if they've played with these sorts of imaginative conceptual ideas for quite a while first? Yeah, I really believe they will. And then I would say, you could also do what is often done and just simply ask students to memorize a little chart that says something like positive times positive equals positive, positive times negative equals negative, negative times positive equals negative, negative times negative equals positive. But this is problematic. Not the chart. The chart is great if students have internalized the why behind it. In fact, students will basically develop this sort of chart for themselves. But handing this rule list to the students with no experience and saying it's just the way it is, is not only not very helpful, it's just one more experience and probably a long line of experiences that they've had in math class of not expecting math to make sense or not connecting it to something that they can demonstrate and prove. We can provide so much more actual learning if we provide these sorts of exploration opportunities instead. If we promote the thinking and the intellectual accountability. So if they say, is a negative times a negative a positive? You can say, I don't know, is it? How could you demonstrate that? So many students and adults remember this saying, and it's very common that I hear it this way, two negatives make a positive. Exactly that without any other clarifying words around it. And sometimes people remember that that is in the context of multiplication and sometimes not. I always ask, what do you mean? When you say two negatives, do you mean something like negative three plus negative five? That's two negatives. Does that make a positive? And this very often reveals a very shaky understanding of what addition is, what multiplication is, let alone how negative numbers play into it. Few people can explain these things, but I think it's within all of our grasp to be able to explain these things. And I think that being able to explain how these operations work is what gives us the power. It gives us confidence. It gives us knowledge that we can build on logically. So we can do what we've done here today and use our understanding of the operations to extend to scenarios that involve negative numbers and have it make sense. And it gives us the freedom to apply our knowledge correctly in any situation 
or when we're faced with any abstract problem. So here I've reached the point where I've said the main points of this episode, which is a couple of ways to conceive of the concept of multiplication using negative numbers. These are the primary ideas that I like to use in my teaching. But I feel this episode wouldn't be complete if we didn't play around with the other meanings of multiplication with negative numbers to see if we can wrestle some more understanding out of them. So I'm going to circle back now and consider the other three meanings of multiplication as they may or may not relate to negative numbers. You could consider this bonus material. If it starts to make things more confusing rather than more clear, just set it aside. But let's give it a go. And if you stay with me, you're going to actually also get a little sidebar about area and a couple of ways to really use area to understand fundamentals of multiplication basic multiplication with positives only, that the other meanings don't do quite as well, and how we can see that multiplication is something very different from addition. So let's get to it. At first, when I was thinking about area, I realized it gets pretty hard to do that and involve negative numbers, at least in the real world sense. I already went out on a limb, again, no pun intended, and talked about how the height of a tree growing above ground, we'll call that positive, as going up from zero or ground level. And then we could imagine that if that same plant grew downward instead, it would be headed in a negative direction. It's considerably harder to do this in our imaginations with area because we have not just one reference point of zero we have to pivot around with the length, but two the length and width of our object that we're finding the area of, but we're going to try anyway. So let's establish that we could be considering a rectangle of length five units and width three units. Now here's the sidebar. One way that area is different from the other conceptions of multiplication is that it's really, really easy to see the commutative property that if we grid this out and imagine a length of five and a width of three, we end up with 15 squares. It's really easy to see that this is true whether we go over five and up three, so to speak, or we rotate that shape and we think about going over three and up five. It's still the same 15 units. You can see the same 15 squares right there. It's not as immediately obvious that having three black five cards has the exact same value as having five black three cards. And it's also not immediately obvious that having a five-foot tree scaled up by a factor of three lands at the same height as a three-foot tall scaled up by a factor of five. That is something that takes a few extra steps in your brain than when you've just got a three by five rectangle sitting in front of you. But another thing specifically about area that's a really important difference is that we've now created a new unit. We took the five length units headed in one direction, and the three length units headed in the other direction, perpendicularly, both lengths. And by crossing them perpendicularly, now we're counting something new. We're counting squares, square units. And this is completely a side point to the negative number thing we're gonna consider in a few minutes. But I want to mention that it's really important that students, when they're learning about area and perimeter, that they understand that these are two fundamentally very different things. 
forgive me, I'm going to capitalize that phrase in the transcript, so please don't think I'm shouting. I just don't want anyone to lose this opportunity. If you are explaining area and perimeter to someone, or thinking about it right now for yourself to truly understand this. So while perimeter is additive, it's just a length and a length and a length and a length. Four of those for a rectangle, more or less for another shape possibly. But it's always simply adding lengths to lengths to get a total length. Whereas area is something very, very different. We juxtapose those two lengths perpendicularly, and then we are now counting up or keeping track of something that is not a length anymore. It is the area which we measure by calculating how many squares cover a surface. Contrasting perimeter and area is one great way, and I'm not sure I got into it enough on the last episode, but it's a fabulous way to point out how very, very different multiplication and addition are by looking at how they behave when we are in this realm of geometry. Length plus a length is another length. And importantly, I do need to point out that just as we did earlier, we can take a length and multiply it and still get another length. But in that case, what we have is a length being scaled up or down by a factor, a naked number, so to speak, to get another length that is longer or shorter, but still a length. Just exactly like we did earlier. If we have a five foot tree and we scale it by a factor of three, it's now a length of 15, but still a length because the scale factor of three has no units. It's the naked number I was referring to. But if you are multiplying a length by a length, you are creating an entirely new unit that's called squared length. Here's where you insert the name of the particular unit, like square centimeters or square inches or square miles or what have you. I cannot emphasize this enough. And we really have an amazing opportunity with our upper elementary students to point this out and talk about what's happening here, to understand dimensionality, to be prepared to understand why we use the term squared when we refer to a number multiplied by itself. Because if that number were the side length of a square, multiplying it by itself would be the way to measure that square to measure its area in square units. And this is why we say cubed when we raise a number to the power of three, because we would be using this process to calculate the volume in three dimensions of a, that's right, a cube to be measured in cubic units. But all of that, I digress. Let's come back to where we want to introduce negative numbers to this idea of area. This is not very real world oriented. That is really one of the main reasons Greek mathematics was a bit stunted, because they completely ignored negative numbers. It's not like they never came across them. As they developed their algebra, they would get negative solutions to things. But here's the thing. You can't, in any literal sense, have a negative length. That's why distance is always an absolute value. It's a positive number. And the Greeks, they were so heavily focused on geometry. Literally, that means Earth measurement. So they would just kind of ignore any negative result with their algebraic equations. They just tossed it out instead of following that trail of thought to develop a robust understanding of how negative numbers might behave in our abstract realm of mathematics. That was left for other civilizations in other centuries. 
kind of starting with Brahmagupta in India and then spreading throughout the Arab world for quite a while before eventually reaching the European civilizations. But as we've established earlier in this episode, you can only pretend to have negative lengths by having your lengths go in some opposite direction with a reference or a starting point of zero. So given our need to have that zero reference point, since we need two dimensions for area, you'll have to visualize a Cartesian coordinate plane with me for this. You've got your x-axis going right and left, that's one dimension, and then your y-axis going up and down, that's our second dimension. And where they cross in the center, that's our point zero, zero. That's the origin, that's our starting point. And at that point, we have gone right or left zero, so we stayed right there, and also up or down zero, so we stayed right there. So our rectangle that's positive five by positive three, it's going to be nestled into that first quadrant, the part where we went over to the right five and up three, positive and positive, sort of on the upper right. And then imagine that we shade in that rectangle that that makes starting from the origin. And we're going to start with the idea that this is an area of 15 square units or positive 15 to be explicit about that. Now let's think about what would happen if our rectangle were going to be what we'd call negative five by positive three. So imagine our X coordinate is going to take us backward or to the left five units, and then we go up three. We've now created a rectangle that is also 15 square units, but we can see that we kind of flipped it across the Y axis. And kind of like when our tree grew down instead of up, we called it negative height. When our rectangle flips across an axis like that, we're going to call that negative area. So negative five by positive three would be negative 15 square units. Well, let's try the third case. What if our rectangle would be something we might call positive five by negative three? That would be a rectangle that went to the right five, but then down three. So that's a rectangle with the same shape and size of 15, but it got flipped around an axis too. This one got flipped around the x-axis to where it's below our starting rectangle. And therefore, let's call that also an area of negative 15 square units. And finally, for the rectangle that we would call negative five by negative three, that would be like going to the left five and then down three. So it creates this new rectangle that's diagonally across from where we started, catty corner-like. And if we think about it, we can see that this is a rectangle that we might get by taking our original five by three rectangle and then flipping it around both axes, one after the other. We could flip it down, then across, or we could flip it across and then down. But once we flipped it twice, let's consider that as flipping it back to positive. So that negative by a negative creates what we're going to consider a positive total area. Again, it's diagonally across from the positive by a positive. Now, I don't at all feel like I've laid out really robust mathematical or conceptual reasons for coming to these conclusions, but here's what I was after here. I just wanted to apply what we've already sort of decided about how multiplication with negative numbers will need to work. And when I thought about what I've already described so far, I noticed something. Now, you might need some basic algebra for this. I haven't been laying the entire foundation for that here. So my apologies, this has been a bit challenging to follow. 
But if I imagine those two rectangles with positive area, so the five by three first one on the upper right, and then the negative five by negative three one on the lower left. Those are the ones we've decided have the positive area. It's like I could draw the line y equals x through the origin that diagonally goes through both of those two quadrants. Uh, the first quadrant and the third quadrant is what they're conventionally called. And I can think of that positive slope of that line corresponding with the positive areas that I'm considering the rectangles in those quadrants to have. Then think about those other rectangles, the negative five by positive three, that's on the upper left, and the positive five by negative three, that's on the lower right. And I could draw a line through those two quadrants, the second and the fourth, the line that goes through the origin, the line that we would call y equals negative x, or the opposite of x. And that is a line sloping downward with a negative slope that takes us through the two quadrants where the areas are negative. None of that is rigorous mathematics, but it works for me. Those connections make some intuitive sense to me. Anyway, that's area with negative multiplication, as far as I tried to push it. There is also the concept of rates as one of the meanings of multiplication. That's the fourth on our list of five. And this one is probably more straightforward even than area, but still like all the other scenarios, it's a bit of a mental stretch. So let's try it. Let's reestablish that a rate is a number that connects two quantities multiplicatively. So to illustrate, I'm going to use a common rate known as speed. That's always going to be distance per time. And because I'm in the US, I'll use miles per hour. If I'm traveling at a rate of five miles per hour, so I'm probably not in a vehicle, this would probably mean I'm on foot jogging. Not as fast as a cross country star, but a heck of a lot faster than I personally would be able to jog for any sustained length of time. But let's pretend that the speed I'm traveling at three is five miles per hour. I can use that rate as a multiplier to calculate my total distance after going along for a certain amount of time. In other words, if I jog along at five miles per hour for three hours, I will have traveled 15 miles. That's the relationship between speed, time, and distance. But it works that way with literally any rate that connects two quantities. How much of one quantity you have per the other, you use that as a multiplier to connect the two quantities to each other. Shall we try to apply negatives to this? Let's start with a negative five miles per hour for a positive three hours. For this, we could use our negative definition of distance as going backwards from a starting point. Backwards instead of down, since our distance is lateral in this example, it's not up and down like the tree example. So jogging at negative five miles per hour would be like if I was supposed to be going in a certain direction for a race, but instead I started at the starting line and I turned around and went in the opposite direction. So compared to the 15 miles that I would have ended up at if I went forward, instead I went backwards five miles for each hour and I ended up 15 miles behind where I needed to be, which could be considered a negative 15. So negative five miles per hour for three hours would be a distance of negative 15. 15 miles behind where I started from. Okay, so what about positive five miles per hour, but for negative three hours? I'm having a little bit harder time with this one, but here's what I came up with. I was jogging in the forward direction, that's indicated by the five miles per hour, 
but it's like I'm winding back the time. Like if a video was playing of me running the race at five miles per hour in a forward direction for three hours, but instead I played it backwards. So the time was reversing as you watched the video. That's the negative three hours. What you would see is you would actually see me retreating by 15 miles. So there's your negative 15. Five miles per hour times negative three hours gives you a visual of me backing up by 15 miles. And by that same token, if I wanted to do negative five miles per hour for negative three hours, we have to think about both things backwards. So first of all, I have to imagine that I ran the race in the wrong direction. That's the negative five miles per hour. But then also I played that video backwards in time for the three hours. So when I do that, I can see myself moving in what's actually ending up to be a forward direction from some distant point behind the starting line toward the zero mark by a total of 15 miles during that quote unquote negative time. So there you have the negative five miles per hour times negative three hours becoming a positive 15. That was fun. And you could actually do all kinds of examples. There are so many different types of rates, probably with more or less success, depending on what two quantities you were describing in your rate when trying to envision them with negative numbers, both the rate multiplier being negative and then the quantity you're multiplying by being negative. But that's where I'll leave that one for now. You might want to have some fun exploring on your own. For completeness sake, I want to mention the fifth meaning of multiplication, but I think we can effectively rule it out. That's the combinatorics one. That's the one related to the field of probability and how many different combinations we can make, such as if we wanna know how many ice cream cones we can make if we have three cone types and five ice cream flavors. So that would be 15 different combinations. That's assuming you just do one kind of ice cream per cone, and that's kind of boring. So if we did like double scoops, we could have three times five times five again. There, that would give us 75 different possible combinations. But no matter how far I stretched my brain, I couldn't really come up with a good way that we'd wanna talk about having a negative amount of choices with it still being something that I could sort of visualize in a tangible way. Negative numbers aren't particularly helpful or applicable there to me, but maybe you'll have more success with it than I did. Let me know if you do. As a sneak preview of the next episode, I should mention that we didn't really get into division and I don't know how much I'll explicitly discuss negatives on the next episode when I get there. And so for that reason, I want to leave you with the reminder that just as addition and subtraction are inverse operations, and we can use that as we define and then flesh out the behaviors of these operations on specific numbers, so also we can know that multiplication and division are inverse operations, and that is going to be the key to helping students and yourself to construct the rules for dividing by negative numbers. Super briefly, you've got two options here for how to approach division by negative numbers. Option one, you can go back through our four scenarios. With our specific numbers, it was five times three is 15, five times negative three is negative 15, negative five times three is negative 15, and negative five times negative three is 15. And simply reverse them the other way around. So you end up with, respectively, 15 divided by that three is five. So positive divided by positive is positive. 
negative 15 divided by that negative 3 is positive 5. So negative divided by negative is also positive. Negative 15 divided by positive 3 is negative 5. So negative divided by positive is negative. And 15 divided by negative 3 is negative 5. So positive divided by negative is negative. And these quote-unquote rules by comparison lead to the same exact conclusions in a slightly shuffled order as we got when we laid out the multiplication rules. So that's one approach. The other approach, option two, is to take any division statement and to realize that we can straight up restate that as a multiplication statement where we multiply by the multiplicative inverse or reciprocal. So let me give you an example. Negative 15 divided by negative 3. We can restate that as negative 15 times negative 1 third. We have right there in a direct and straightforward way created a multiplication statement using the reciprocal of negative 3, which is negative 1 third. And we can see that a negative divided by a negative must have the same sign as a negative times a negative. We also, in order to prove that to ourselves, we would need to realize that any number and its reciprocal have the same sign. You can think about why that would need to be true, given that the definition of a number and its reciprocal or multiplicative inverse is that they multiply together to create a positive one. And now, instead of dividing a negative by a negative, we can change that to multiplying a negative by a negative. So once again, this leads us to conclude that the same rules for multiplication signs must apply when we are dividing. Whew, that was a lot. I'm so glad you're still here with me. I want you to know that next episode, we'll break down division in a lot more depth and look at it from many different angles as we always do. I hope that meanwhile, this has helped you to consider how knowing what multiplication is can guide us toward understanding how it works with negative numbers. And more generally, how important it is to have a conceptual foundation of each part of math to build this web of connected understanding so that we have the power to own and to use mathematical relationships and freely apply our understanding in new ways. This sixth episode of the Mathematics Podcast has been brought to you by the number six, which is the product of our first two prime numbers, two and three, and is the first perfect number, where a perfect number is defined as a positive integer equal to the sum of all its whole factors, excluding itself. In the case of six, those factors are one, two, and three, and one plus two plus three equals six. Since the next four perfect numbers after six are 28, 496, 8,128, and 33,550,336, it's incredibly unlikely that there will be more than one or maybe two other episodes of this podcast, which will be designated with perfect numbers. 
so let's enjoy this one while it's here. And this episode has also been brought to you by Mathematics.com, where we envision a world with freedom and power for everyone through understanding math. Check us out at M-A-T-H-E-M-A-T-I-X-E-D.com.